One of the ironic things about our age is that Vanity Fair ended up becoming a magazine, uh, a very popular magazine, by the way, a fashion magazine, fashion and trends. And fashion has always cracked me up. I am a slave to it. I'm a slave in my own way to it. So believe me, I am not accusing others, uh, assuming I am not prone to it. But I was a Shakespearean student for a number of years and thought that I would end up actually in a career in Shakespearean theater. And you look back at those guys with the really big collars, right? That kind of looks like they have an accordion wrapped around their neck. That's a good look. And you go, like, he honestly thought that he was cool. (laughs) You go, like... That is a ridiculous look. That with your leggings, right, and your bloomers, and you've got this accordion wrapped around your neck, and it's like, buddy, you look ridiculous. But he thought, hey, look at me. Hey, Nicholas, I look so freaking cool, man. (laughs) Wow, Theophilus, that looks so fresh today. The power of fashion down through the centuries and what it says about human nature and how desperately we want to be in with whatever the in crowd that we want to be in, whatever our particular group, and the language we use, the way we dress, the sunglasses we wear or don't wear. Oh, man. I've got recent stories, but I have an old story, which is easier to tell. But I remember I was a freshman in college, and when I—and it's so simple. When I had been in Colorado before moving out to California— uh, you know, rock climbing, frisbee at the park. I would just roll up my pants and go around the day that way. And I was putting on, you know, a favorite pair of pants, starting to roll them up. And then I had a real moment of total consternation. It was like Bree and the Horseman's Boy, where I was like, do they roll their pants in California? <gasps> I don't know. And I was trying to think, have I seen anyone do this? Am I going to just look like a moron. And then I <laughs> I had the pants rolled, and I was about to unroll them, and then I went, no, okay, I have to decide for myself whether I'm going to do this. I, I have to pass this test. So I ended up going, I rolled them before, I'm rolled them now, and I was slow motion walking through campus. This is about pants. This yes. is about pants. Yeah, yeah. And feeling the heat rise in my face, trying to give casual waves to people, and then I walked by a guy coming the other way who had his pants rolled, And I was like, hallelujah. Oh, I'm free. I can run and jump. Cool. Oh, thank God. And that thing in you that goes, I was free all along. I was free all along. I don't care what people think about my fashion choices. Friends, welcome back to episode four here in a series on the Wild at Heart podcast with John and Blaine Eldridge on why are you so ambivalent about Jesus coming back, friends? Why does the why does the topic of it give you the willies? And the reason I bring up the fashion thing is because uh, um, we're going to hit three objections today that are speed bumps, obstacles uh, to people really finding the joy and embracing the fullness of the hope that is the anchor of the soul, which is the restoration of all things could take place at any moment. And the first objection is, ooh, oh, the return of Christ. Can we not talk about that as loud as 
you know, like I'm willing to talk about it, but not here at this party. Would you not say that? Don't, ooh, could you just keep that? Let's take this conversation out onto the sidewalk. Like I, and it's that fear of, I don't want to be that guy. So I want to show how powerful this runs in human nature. I'm going to ask you a question. What could neither hell nor high water, what could they not pay you to do in public? Blaine? Oh, man. I think it's funny, the one that actually came up. I think anything that I would just really, really show ineptitude at, and I thought of like, I don't know, if someone needed me to fill in in a rodeo, I wouldn't do that. It would go, and everyone would just know, that guy doesn't really know how to ride a horse or throw a rope or anything, or even know, you know, where to go. Uh, Here's one that's a little real, though, right now. I'm like, what could no one pay me to do? You could not pay me to give a talk on racial restoration in a church because I just know that I don't totally know the right things to say on that topic, and I don't want to look like a moron for laying out a strategy or an evaluation that has been proven wrong somewhere else. I just haven't read that book yet. Yes, yes. Yeah, you could not pay me to go on America's Got Talent and do anything. Because I like to do it like a dance routine or sing a song or, you know, I like, no way, man, no way. Like, I don't care. $10,000, I wouldn't do it. I just wouldn't do it. We've got Alan is our producer in our studio, and I'm going to corner him here and say, Alan, grab a microphone for a second. What could they not pay you to do? I'm going to give you $10,000, and you're like, nope, still won't do it. I would not dance in public for any amount of money. (laughs) Now, I'm not talking about when you're with your wife and it's the slow dance shuffle. That's okay. But I'm talking about if they put on the really great song and everybody's cutting loose, I feel so awkward. I will do anything not to expose myself. I will go get drinks for somebody. I will slide out the back door. I'll I'll sit down and have to tie a shoe, but it's that fear of exposure of I don't know I don't know how to dance and I don't know what I'm doing, and there's no way in the world like, yep. yeah okay terrifies so, me gang like what could they not pay you to do dear listeners because we just got to be honest about there is some sort of embarrassment factor around bringing up with earnest conviction, hey, Jesus is coming back. And I just want to say, what's with that? What is with that? Uh, What is with that is that, you know, the next thing someone that says that thinks you're going to ask them to do is, and hold this snake, or, (laughs) and do, do this funny dance where it's it seems theologically extreme and let's say things that are embarrassing to talk about attract people who 
are a little odd and less worried of looking strange. So there is a self-affirming cycle there where because it's embarrassing (laughs) to talk about the return of Christ, most of the people who have talked about it are embarrassing people who maybe should speak a little less loudly in public. But I just go, oh, man, I, I, hey, people have been wrong. Who can know? I don't want to say that Jesus is coming soon because the people who say that are weirdos. Exactly. But the point that I want to make is the return of Jesus is so central to the scriptures, absolutely central to all Christian faith, utterly essential to what you have staked your life on. It is the thing. This isn't, you know, sprinkle versus dunk baptism. This, you know, this isn't share the communion cup, don't share the communion cup, everybody's got their own. Like, you know, there are debatable issues, but this one is not marginal. This is absolute. Take it away. Let's just take it away for a moment. Take away. There is no return of Christ. And I become a sociopath. (laughs) I mean, Paul's like, oh, yeah, go get hammered. Like, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Like, just bury your face in a whole cake. You know, take down a fifth of tequila. Like, there's no hope. Like, just take it away for a moment, folks. There is no return of Jesus. There is no restoration of all things. And let yourself sit with that for a moment, and you will discover very quickly how central this is. So what the heck is with our embarrassment over the topic? And I don't want to try and solve that for each and individual person, but I just want to bring it up for a moment. This is a real issue. People are not talking about it. And I think it actually goes back to that same part of our humanity that would have put an accordion around our neck if it would have looked fashionable in Shakespeare's time, like, or that didn't know whether to roll our pants up in college or not. Like, we don't, we don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy. Really? Oh, we're going to talk about the return of Jesus. Like, awkward. Like, try bringing it up in your next small group, gang, and just watch how people respond. Try bringing it up in your Sunday school class. Lots to say here. We can make it easier, though, and say that the return of Jesus fits in a grab bag of elements of the Christian story, elements of reality, as Jesus describes it, that you don't want to talk about. So it's not the only one, but to go, this thing in humanity. It's interesting, at any point in time, certain elements of Christianity will line up with the value system of the day. And you will see Christians gravitate to and exclusively discuss those elements of Christianity that line up with the fashion of the times and go, you know, there is a reason, and it's not just empathy, why Christian college students, including me, trumpet liberation theology, trumpet the elements of God is the God of justice, but who then, when cornered, don't really want to go, 
Yeah, well, and the Bible has a lot to say about sexual ethics, but um, hey, that's really divisive. Let's just come together right now and go. There are things that are not the return of Jesus that you don't want to bring up in your small group anyway, or you don't want to bring up in your community when people go, man, you live such an awesome Christian life. And you can go, yeah, the restoration of all things, warfare, God's care for creation. But there are other things that I don't want to say, that you don't want to say, that just fit in. Don't be weird. Don't fail to fit in. Don't fail to be cool. And this motive runs super, super deep. And maybe, the funny thing is, in many people's relationships, it's actually just Jesus, period, where we actually have to tell young folks coming into our church community, one urgent piece of early advice is, listen, if your allegiance is to Jesus, don't build deep relation. Don't let relationships get too deep before you mention him. Because you don't want the embarrassing thing that you can't say to be that you are submitted to and allegiant to Christ. Yes, exactly. Right, right. So Matthew 24, Jesus is literally wrapping up his end of the age discourse. And he says, suppose that one of my servants says to himself, my master is still a long ways off. And then, you know, this guy, particular example, this guy begins to mistreat his fellow servants to eat and drink with drunkards. He just, you know, he's partying. He's doing what he wants. And the master shows up. And what I want to show you is the forbidden attitude in the end of the age discourse is, yeah, come on. It, that's, that's true. Jesus is coming back, but come on, guys, that's still a long ways away. Go, actually, that's the forbidden attitude. That's the very attitude, because that's how we buy ourselves out of it is, oh, no, 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 no. I believe in the return of Jesus. I believe in the restoration of all things. But, I mean, come on, you know, that's probably, I don't know, another thousand years. Yes, to go, (laughs) you are commanded to believe that it's soon. Believing that it's far away is actually not an option for you. And to point out a couple interesting things. One, the enemy is a mocker. And he has turned the faithfulness of the church over time into something to make fun of. People go, yeah, but the church always thought, I mean, look back a thousand years ago, they thought Jesus was coming soon. And I went, are you describing them in like a heroic sense of, <laughs> yes. look at them. Yes. They did it. Yes. They believed that Jesus was coming soon. Yes. And it transformed their life and positioned them to bring the kingdom of God to the world. And without acknowledging that, they would not have done that. Good for them. Now it's your turn. Yes. But to go, the enemy wants to mock that. The world wants to mock that. And man, we really, we don't want to be wrong. And we want to get out of having to consider or read our times just because other people have, which Mm. is not Mm. wrong, people. One of the great conversations I've had this recently just hit hammered again and again You know, people thought Jesus was coming soon. The Battle of Stalingrad. They thought it was the end of the world. And go, and they 
were right. For multiple reasons, yes. they were right. They were right that a world was ending. They were right to believe that Jesus was coming soon and to have it shape their reality. They were right that it could be any minute, and there is no other way to consider the world. Exactly, because they are commanded to by Christ. We were talking about Lot's wife and Vanity Fair last time and the warning of divided allegiances. What's interesting in Mark is Jesus uses the expression again of whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. But we are early here. We're in Mark chapter 8. Christ is riffing on this theme again of Vanity Fair, false comforts, divided allegiances, He says, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? So again, that thing, but listen now, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with his holy angels. Like, Vanity Fair mocks this. It's going to make you feel really uncomfortable. But Jesus is saying, don't let that have power over you. My words include Jesus's very clear teaching on the centrality of his return. And the parable, for example, of the ten virgins, the parable of the faithful servant, we are instructed to assume it is any moment. So first objection, I don't want to be that guy. Uh, Second objection, or speed bump, or hiccup, or, I don't know. Obstacle. Obstacle. Unhelpful obstacle is, for most people, the absolute vagueness of eternity. And this is what often causes people to say, I love it. I'm looking forward to it. Thank God I don't go to hell when I die. But for right now, I'm really enjoying my lake house or I'm really enjoying my job, or I'm really enjoying being a grandma, because I don't, I don't really, I don't really know what eternity is. Like that is super vague and kind of weird. And the church and many Christians have so contributed to this in all of the bizarre heaven talk. The number of memorials I've been to, funeral parlors, the number of you know, afterglow gatherings, even with my even with my own extended relatives, where people are trying to comfort one another with just really unhelpful sayings like, oh, you know, she's in glory now, and who knows what wonderful joys right now she is experiencing. And I'm like, that is not helpful, people. Yeah, I, I've heard a line that was, she's she's at the piano of heaven's choir. And I, I could see it. I could picture what they were talking about. <laughs> and it was weird. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus is doing normal stuff. The thing that I do want to bracket in talking about concrete eternity is that some things are different. And you can point to them. And then maybe not spin yourself out wondering about them because we go, wow, the lion lays down with the lamb. Wait, there's not carnivorous animals anymore. And going, uh, you're given a picture 
of where things don't live at the expense of one another, that violence and destruction is not a part of the world, and go, and so, yeah, maybe some things have to change, but also, it's not like you understand how a lion's digestion works right now. Honestly, if we were to pin you down and go, yeah, 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 but explain how eating works right now, and then we'll push into how eating works in the kingdom. Just to go, most people could not. Even a physicist would acknowledge that that's a hard thing to talk about yes. and go, yeah, okay, some things are different. They can be talked about in concrete ways. Returning to the main point of the pictures that you're given of the union of heaven and earth and the coming of Jesus are all about a very wonderful, imaginable, concrete existence. And you talk about the resurrection of Jesus. Well, go back into the work of Christ and look at the forecasting of the resurrection of Jesus and the miracles of Jesus, which are literally flashes. They're little flashes of the restoration of all things. And it looks like seeing, walking, people who wanted to live one kind of life being allowed to live it yes. and go, you didn't speak to the lame guy and annul his desire to walk. He was a person who wanted to walk, and he got to. Yes. So the coming kingdom yeah. is like that. Or the resurrection of Lazarus, by the way. So the famous story in John, Jesus resurrects Lazarus. The wild thing is, is that several records later, he's at dinner. And the Pharisees, when they're plotting to kill Jesus, they say, we got to kill Lazarus too. Because Lazarus was really terrible publicity for their campaign. He was great publicity for Jesus's. Lazarus is still there. He's walking around, same guy. It's like, oh, he's back, right? He still has his pants rolled up, right? It's, it's Lazarus. It's not, he didn't become an angel. He doesn't disappear into the cosmic ohm. You know, he doesn't go to the heavenly choir or... I'm just glad that the cosmic ohm came up in this conversation. <laughs> well, I think the problem here, and we've talked about this before, comes out of the book of Revelation mostly. And to a lesser extent, the book of Daniel, but the apocalypse books. Yep. And that makes sense where you're given a bunch of crazy images of the return of Jesus and... We can say, again, that those are images that play on core symbolism and pictures in the Bible to show you a part of reality that's best described using analogical language, simile, metaphor, creative description. And if those are really a challenge for you of, yeah, but I mean, Jesus is going to come back and there's going to be an ocean of blood. I mean, these are freaky images, but they are from a kind of literature that uses those images to make a point about reality. They are not a one-to-one -one description of events that happen at the return of Christ. The return of Christ is best described in things like they'll plant vineyards 
yes. and then enjoy the fruit. Yes, there Isaiah 66, I was just there. buildings that are in ruins, and they'll go repair those buildings. Yes, yes. The return of Christ is best illustrated in the resurrection of Jesus. The point being that God is going to do for the world what he did for Jesus on Easter. So what's it like? Is it freaky-deaky? No, it's incredibly wonderful. Yes, there is a new quality to the earth, but you get the earth back, right? Palm trees don't hang upside down, and water is not now orange juice. And, you know, water is still water. Trees are still trees. Like The reality of it is so important. Lewis's line, you cannot hope for anything that you do not desire. And so if your images of the coming kingdom are still in the vague and the bizarre, you don't desire it, and therefore you don't hope for it. It is, I guarantee you, it's not the anchor of the soul. And so no matter how much you protest and say, oh, no, no, I love it. I'm so, I love thinking about and looking forward to heaven when we'll all be in glory and go, what does that mean? What kind of sandwiches will you make? What instrument do you look forward to learning? What is the first language, the classes that you will take? What tangible, real, actual things. When Peter says in Acts chapter 3 that Jesus must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything. Apocatostasis is the word. It means to take the original thing that got broken and put it back into its original condition. So when Jesus does it for a man's withered hand in the gospel of Mark, withered hand, restored hand. He doesn't give him a wing. He doesn't give him a baseball bat, right? He doesn't turn him into a horse. Same guy, it's Jerry. And oh, look, Jerry got his hand back. That's how real it is. That's how practical it is. And the hope of the imminent return of Jesus and the restoration of all things is the one thing that rescues us from Vanity Fair. It's the one thing that rescues us from divided allegiances when you know it's coming. I'm good. I want to point out one other thing here, which is the immaterial fuzzy pictures of heaven are unhelpful in anticipating the return of Jesus. And the other one is an immaterial and fuzzy picture of eternity. And I think we can just say one thing about that when, because I'll have conversations with people and they'll go, yeah, but I just, I can't get the forever thing. And I want to flip it and go, you can. You know what? You can't get the death of your best friend the abrupt yes. violation of things is more baffling to your soul exactly. than the restoration and the right order of things. Yes. And almost, there's a certain extent which I don't like having that particular argument anymore about, well, because you can reframe eternity in some wonderful ways and it makes sense. And to go, eternity is not the thing that your mind cannot comprehend. Your mind cannot comprehend your losses, and that's illustrated in the fact that your losses literally destroy your body. There is no evidence that you are built 
for a world of trauma, death, and cessation. Yes. That is the mental problem. Yes, yes. Or just the passage of time. People constantly use the phrase, where, where did time go? I can't, that was last summer? That I, oh my goodness, it feels like yesterday. Or that we are so uncomfortable with time. Or the feeling of, there isn't enough time left to get my bucket list done. You know, to, I, I needed to finish school. I wanted to have a family. I, you know, back to all that. There, we are constrained by time. Time is the thing we are uncomfortable in, actually. And the passage of it and the inability to make time stand still, right? That's our problem. All right, last speed bump, last obstacle for this episode. There is a ambivalence in many of us towards the truly excited Jesus is coming back any moment and he is literally going to restore everything. There's a, there's a hesitancy, there's an ambivalence in us because we are unfinished. Because we just, like the idea of standing before God is unnerving to us. And the idea like, Oh, I don't I don't know that I'm ready for that. I I don't ooh, that that causes people some real personal internal consternation, right? Right. We may have mentioned this in the other episode, but the I don't know that right now I would hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Yes. Well, there are a few different ways to unpack this problem because it is real and it is important. And there's a dual sense of comfort and urgency in that problem. Yes, there is. Just like the loss of loved ones, which we concluded with last time, and I didn't get the chance to say, you know, that deep, deep concern ought to have us fervently praying for their salvation and rescue. Like there are things we can do about that right now. Like we don't, we're not just passively accepting, well, I hope it works out. And the same thing with the transformation of our character, the transformation of our lives, the readiness of our soul for the coming kingdom. Now, the assurance is this. In 1 John chapter 3, he says, we know this, that when he appears, when Jesus appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So that's, that's the first sentence there. Like, you're going to be okay. There is a genuine transformation that takes place. You, you are, you know, again, the metaphor is robes of righteousness, right? You, meaning you're holy, you're good. Heaven, the return of the kingdom, the marriage of heaven and earth, it's not the great public embarrassment. You are not naked and ashamed. But what's fascinating is he goes on to say, everyone who has this hope in Christ purifies himself, just as Jesus is pure. And Gary Black has an excellent book that I have enjoyed very much called Preparing for Heaven, in which 
he talks about this tension of, no, 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 you, the righteousness of Christ is totally imparted to you. Heaven is not going to be this terrible embarrassment before God and the great cloud of witnesses. And he picks up with the next sentence in John with, and yes, your character matters. Of course it does. Yes, holiness matters. Like, I love the prayer that Paul prays in Thessalonians. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, body be kept blameless for the coming of Jesus. Oh, can I say that they are linked concepts. You cannot separate them and preserve anything like the original and go, humanity, we want to get it right and then enter the presence of God and go, that didn't work. Anyone who's under the law is under a curse. Uh, that So Jesus, like the covering really does work. And the receiving of that is actually the thing that transforms your nature. So there is a kind of, okay, so I do have to pull it together and be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you have to, you can't keep trying and do the, okay, so yeah, I'm going to pick up that Bible reading plan again, and I'm this time I'm going to do it and go, no, not with that motive. It's the response to the reality that, yes, you will stand before a righteous king who could judge you and isn't, yes. is not going to, loves you, covers you. And that experience actually changes you, returns the heart to you that God put within you, and you actually then do find this response that you do get to walk yes. out of being a transformed person. You desire holiness. Yeah. You actually want it. It is the thing you want. Friends, I can assure you this. When you see your father, you are going to run into his arms without a moment's hesitation. There will be no pause. There will be no fear There will be no slight. (sighs) You will be so thrilled to finally see him. And he is going to be so thrilled to have you in the fullness of the kingdom. You will run and you will embrace and you will laugh and there will be joy. There is no embarrassment in heaven. Absolutely none. Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So we tried to address three speed bumps today, three obstacles, the embarrassment, the unfashionableness of talking about Jesus and his return, the weirdness of eternity, and and that sense of, ooh, I don't know that I'm ready to stand before God. And we just wanted to get you thinking about these things, that there are wonderful scriptural answers to this. If these are part of your ambivalence towards the return of Christ, address it. Let's get these things out of the way so that we are the people that are filled with hope filled with hope and anchored the anchor of the soul in the restoration 
that is just around the corner. 